Welcome to the Sideline Dissonant. I'm Brad Whitaker. Going to give you my Week 14 NFL Power Rankings. Uh, but first, going to talk a little bit about college football, which is rare, but there's a lot of debate going on over this. Who deserved to make it, Ohio State or Alabama? We knew who the top three teams would be, Clemson, Oklahoma, Georgia. They were pretty obvious, but the fourth team is where the debate is happening. And look, I thought the College Football Selection Committee made the right choice. I mean, really, my only beef with the selection committee is I think they should have had USC at number six over Wisconsin, but they got the top four right, in my opinion. But uh, the debate that's going on, and it's a similar debate to last year uh, with Penn State, is do conference championships matter? All right? I say, of course they do. But the question is, how much do they matter? In my opinion, they only matter slightly more than regular season games do. I mean, it's a conference championship. It's a big game. You're generally playing good teams. But it shouldn't be everything. And it seems like a lot of people want it to be everything. And there are a lot of unintended consequences if you have the conference championship be the determinant for getting into the college football playoff. And, you know, I'm so sick at the triteness of all the college football analysts on ESPN. That Why play the games in the first place? Joe Clad on Fox, he's saying that. Look, no top four team in the, in the short college football playoff history has had a loss worse than 14 points. All right, we all know why Ohio State didn't get, get in. Because they lost to unranked Iowa on the road by 31 points. And look, it would be one thing if they played well against Oklahoma early in the season, but they lost that game by 15 points, and they got smoked in the fourth quarter. Also, that game was at home. They lost Oklahoma by 15 at home. Baker Mayfield had all the right to put that flag in the center of the field. And I, I just... Alabama has one loss. Ohio State has two. Ohio State has two bad losses, one really bad loss, and Alabama has won, and you can't excessively punish Bama for losing on the road to Auburn while they were playing their best football of the season and put Ohio State in solely because they won the conference. Maybe if there were eight teams. I think this season has made a great case for why it should be an eight-team playoff, but only four can get in, and again, the first three choices were completely obvious. I'm so annoyed at all the Ohio State fans out there that think this is some kind of conspiracy. Do you really think ESPN didn't want Ohio State in the college football playoff? All right, we know why Alabama got in. Alabama, they're playing Clemson. They're the four seed, Clemson's number one. They opened as a pick 'em against the number one seed in the country. Do you think Ohio State would have been a pick 'em? Of course not. Not to mention Las Vegas says if Alabama and Ohio State faced off, Bama would have been a five-and-a-half-point favorite. So that tells you everything you need to know. One loss to Auburn on the road is not as bad as a terrible loss on the road against Iowa and then an early-season loss by 15 points at home to Oklahoma, who's currently the two-seed. I don't care if they're the two-seed. You play better against good teams at home, and Ohio State didn't do that. Look, I don't love having two SEC teams in there, but... Let's be honest about this. And, and if you're a Big Ten fan or you're, you're a Michigan fan or Penn State, you may take offense to this. I don't care. The SEC is still the better conference. 
it is still by far the better conference. Yes, they're not as good as they've been in the last 10 years or so, but you still have Georgia, you still have Auburn, you still have Alabama, you still have LSU. They closed the season very well. Ohio State last year, this will give you an idea of just how good the Big Ten actually is. If we're going to go off the last few seasons, Ohio State played Clemson in the first round of the college football playoffs last year. They lost 31 to nothing. And then the year before, Michigan State got in and they were blown out. All right. Big Ten hasn't really developed a good reputation over the last two years. All right. You can't pick the college football playoff based on diversity. Okay. It'd be nice. It would be nice. Okay. It'd be nice if we had an ACC team in there, Big 12 team in there, the SEC, the Big 10, or, or maybe the Pac-12. We get a little bit of teams all over the country. We got people all over the country watching these games. That would be nice, but that's not how you get the best four teams. And everyone is harping on the college football playoff committee. At least they are merit-based and consistent. Remember last year, Ohio State got in Based off their resume, they lost to Penn State in the Big Ten Championship game, but they clearly had a superior resume to Penn State. And they should have. You know, like Ohio and uh, Ohio State and Iowa did, did this year, uh, Penn State last year lost to Michigan on the road by 39 points. They also lost to Pitt, who was an unranked team. We all know Alabama should have gotten in there. Don't kid yourselves, please. Ohio State's good. They make a great five seed. Don't get upset. We get to see Ohio State play USC. That's going to be one hell of a bowl game instead of watching them lose in all likelihood by 30 points to Clemson in the, in the first round. The playoff committee made the right decision. I'm done with this topic. All right, moving on to the sideline seven, my week 14 power rankings. I only picked seven teams because when in doubt, alliteration is the way to go. Number seven is the Seattle Seahawks. I've been very critical of the Seahawks this season. Uh, I don't love their offensive line. I keep saying that over and over again, but look, Russell Wilson can bail them out. All right, maybe they, the Seahawks do make the right decision not spending on an O-line because they can spend on their defense they, and they can just have Russell Wilson do everything on offense. But, look, blowing out the Eagles is not trivial. All right, I don't care if it was at home. The game wasn't even close. It's not as close as the score indicated. The Legion of Boom was booming again, and they've been having injury problems. It didn't seem to matter. Rookie cornerback Shaquille Griffin, uh, he can guard any star receiver one-on-one. All right, he's a rookie. He's like Malcolm Butler was for the Patriots when he, when he made the team. And uh, look, the Seahawks give that defense a lot of credit. They took away Carson Wentz's safety valve of scrambling out of the pocket, and they prevented those large chunk running plays, which is really what Carson Wentz does when, you know, he doesn't have any receivers. They're all covered, and um, he's really he, feeling pressure in the pocket. He's very good at escaping and running for 10, 15 yards downfield. The Seahawks did a really good job at mitigating that. Number six is the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, I had them at number three uh, just a couple weeks ago. Last week, they were at number five. The reason I dropped them to number six, the same reason I kept dropping them in the previous weeks. They cannot focus. All right. In terms of focus, they are ranked 31st in the NFL, only behind the Bengals, the team they barely beat last night. 
Pittsburgh should have blown out Green Bay with Brett Hundley. They let Green Bay jump out to a big lead. They should have blown out Cincinnati. They let them jump out to a big lead. And instead, the Steelers, they had to flip a switch in the second half because in the first half, they're too busy thinking about Week 15 against New England. And they build these huge deficits. And look, the Steelers have the most talented roster in the NFL. All right, they and they have no team has a combo of Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown, and that young pass rush is arguably the best in the league, and they're not even being paid a thing. They really they built an incredible defense off pocket change. They should not be chasing teams in the second half like Green Bay and Cincinnati, and you know Pittsburgh's a better team, and they they won off a miracle Antonio Brown catch last week and and this week they had to play catch up in the fourth quarter and and they won but also you know talk about the Steelers focus a little bit more you know they always took the bait last night against the Cincinnati Bengals you know the Bengals are an aggressive team they like to pick fights and the Steelers they just acted impulsively they couldn't help but fight back that's the reason the Steelers are out of my top three they're probably going to make the AFC title game but you know they need to stop playing up to the level of their competition. You know, they might play well against the Patriots in a few weeks, but for all we know, they're going to lose the week before because they're just not focused. All right, number five is the New Orleans Saints. Uh, as expected, they bounce back this week after a tough loss on the road against the Rams. Um, look, they, they, they pretty much blew out the Carolina Panthers. There was a late fumble uh, from the Saints that gave Carolina late in the game. Uh, but they handled them pretty easily, and that's the Saints' division to win at this point. Uh, Alvin Kamara, he epitomizes the evolution of the running back position. He has over 600 rushing yards and over 600 receiving yards so far this season. And him and Mark Ingram have clearly separated themselves as the best running duo in the NFL. In fact, I would say they are even better than uh, Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman were in Atlanta last year. All right, number four, the Los Angeles Rams. They're slowly moving up these power rankings. And look, these last few weeks, because the the Eagles only had one loss, everyone was talking about Carson Wentz. But I think it's time we pay a little bit more attention to Jared Goff. Goff's passer rating is only three and a half points less than Wentz's. He's thrown the same number of interceptions. He has a higher completion percentage. And he's thrown for almost 200 more yards. Also, he's fumbled the football five times less than Carson Wentz has. I'm not saying he's had a better season than Carson Wentz, but as I'm going to mention in a minute with the Eagles, Carson Wentz missed some throws in in Seattle that I don't think Jared Goff would have missed. That should be a great matchup next week between Philadelphia and Los Angeles. Speaking of the Eagles, I have them at number three. I didn't want to drop them down too far. I had them at number one the last few weeks, uh, but I only dropped them two spots. Uh, But again, we found out Carson Wentz is human. You take away his ability to run with the football and put pressure on him, he'll start missing open targets downfield. And Seattle showed that if you get into Wentz's head, take away his safety valve, which is scrambling out of the pocket, they're beatable. And that's what it takes. It takes, you see this sometimes with the Patriots. They'll play a good team and they'll expose something and then the following weeks they won't play as well. I think Seattle did that to Philadelphia, which is why their matchup against the Rams this coming week should be a good one. Uh, That's going to be tough. Uh, It's going to basically be a home game for the Eagles because we all know Los Angeles fans don't actually go to the games, but 
look, you, you gotta you gotta give Seattle credit. The, uh, offensively, they they were able to bail themselves out with their poor O line play with Russell Wilson, but. You, give, you don't give Carson Wentz that time to escape the pocket and run for 10, 15 yards. He's a different quarterback. Seattle exposed that. And that's why I had the Minnesota Vikings leapfrogging the Eagles. They're the number two team on this week's sideline seven. And I'm convinced Case Keenum is a good quarterback now. I, I wasn't a couple weeks ago. Now I'm convinced. I know he has plenty around him. He has a top three offensive line, great running game, good defense to back him up. But you put Keenum behind that same O-line last year, he's a different quarterback. And also give Mike Zimmer a lot of credit. He's optimized every unit on that team. I'd call him the second best coach in the NFL to Bill Belichick. You can make a case for Sean McVay at this point, but he's still young. You don't know what's going on uh, in the future with him. But, you know, Mike Zimmer, if, if Minnesota gets the number one seed, which right now they, they own the tiebreaker against Philadelphia, that means they don't just have home field advantage through the NFC title game. They have home field advantage even in the Super Bowl because Minnesota's hosting it. Watch out for them. I actually think Case Keenum might be good. And they say superstars are the only ones that win in the playoffs. I don't think Case Keenum's a superstar yet. But considering everything they have built around them, Minnesota's going to be very tough to beat in the NFC, especially if they earn home field advantage. And finally, number one, been waiting to put them up there for a number of weeks now, but they finally did it. The New England Patriots. Their defense was the issue early in the season, but that defense has now held opponents to under 20 points eight games in a row. And of those eight games holding opponents to under 20 points, they've held offenses to under 10 points in three of those. And the Bills only just only scored three points uh, this past Sunday. And Tom Brady had arguably his worst game of the season on Sunday. The offense still managed to score 23 and probably would have scored more if they weren't playing conservative football in the fourth quarter. Now, the teams that I have just missing the cut, again, I can only pick seven. Uh, I, I threw the Chargers out of there this week, even though they won. I had to put the Seahawks in the mix just because they beat the Eagles. They deserve to be in the top seven. I probably have the Chargers at eight. Uh, Jaguars bounce back after a tough loss at Arizona. They probably would be nine. Falcons maybe ten, uh, or the Panthers. The Falcons are playing a little bit better. Carolina seems to be regressing a little bit. And then uh, I'm not quite confident enough to put the Ravens and the Titans in the top seven. Still need to see a little more out of them, but they're looking pretty tough to beat. So now moving on to winners and losers. This is going to be a new segment I do every day. Basically just going to pick stories that I like. Those are going to be the winners and stories that I don't like. Those are going to be the losers. It gives me a chance to cover some of the more surface-level sports news of the day so I don't have to dive as deep into it like I did in the power ranking segment or uh, I was talking about college football earlier uh, in this episode. But uh, my my, uh, first winner story, I was a little annoyed with Bill Belichick. Uh, over the over the weekend, and you know there was some criticism over his lack of a reaction to Rob Gronkowski's late hit. If you missed it, Gronk was being held a little bit on a play, and he he got frustrated. And I, I, I the Bills player's name is slipping my mind right now, but he blindsided him and body slammed him and elbowed him in the back of the head and gave the Bills player a concussion. Uh, Gronk, in my opinion, should have been kicked out of the game after that, and he wasn't, and then after the game, Bill Belichick was asked about it, and he just, you know, I didn't see what was going on, or about the same, 
lackluster Belichick response to the media. And, you know, I was a bit disappointed because last week I made a video where I talked about how the Patriots are... Uh, they crack the whip a lot more than teams like the Steelers and the Raiders, and that's ultimately why they win, because they hold their players far more accountable. And I was like, all right, well, Belichick clearly isn't holding Gronk accountable. But then this video came out today of Bill- Belichick talking to the Bills head coach, uh, McDermott, after the game, and, and he apologized for Gronk's uh, unsportsmanlike hit. Oh, I understand. It was And yeah, and I'm glad he did that. Gronk was only suspended for one game. He appealed it. I think it probably should have been a two-game suspension. And, you know, we've heard the excuses. Gronk, the reason, probably the reason why he was only suspended for one game is he doesn't have much of a history of being a dirty player. And he apologized for the uh, for the hit immediately after the game. I just didn't really like his excuse because he was saying, I get held a lot, which is definitely true. If you're a Patriots fan, you know Gronk gets held almost on every single play because he's impossible to guard one-on-one. But that's not an excuse for taking out your frustration on another player, elbowing him in the back of the head when he can't see you, and giving him a concussion. Uh, Brady said a similar excuse on WEEI Monday where he talked about, well, you know, Gronk does get held and it's frustrating because he doesn't always get the interference calls, and he was clearly frustrated. Again, there's no excuse for that. You don't blindside a player like Gronk did and but we're seeing with the NFL right now when players get into fights or they give dirty hits the league doesn't really crack down that much they believe this too that players are passionate and they don't mean it when they get into these fights but at some point the league's gonna have to step up because I don't know if you watch Monday night's game between the Steelers and the Bengals but that was one of the dirtiest football games I've ever seen and you, you can't just use the excuse that, oh, well, we're passionate and that's just football. Like, Ben Roethlisberger, after the game, was asked about all the, the dirty plays, and he goes, well, that's, that's just AFC North football. And it's like, yeah, you can be aggressive, but that doesn't mean you start fighting and injuring other players. Not smart, but I'm glad Belichick did apologize to McDermott. And, hey, if Gronk's suspension, uh, if, if it does get... It turns into just a fine. He appealed to the league. Uh, if I were Belichick, I'd suspend him anyways because there's there's no reason to have that. Uh, you need to send a message. And look, I want to see Gronk play next week. Of course, I'm a Patriots fan. I, I don't want him to be suspended. I'm going to Monday's game. I'd love to see Gronk play, but he shouldn't play. All right. Even if the league says, "All right, we're gonna get re- we're gonna revoke your suspension and just give you a large fine," Belichick should say, "No, too bad." You're, you're not playing today for that hit. It's not like the Patriots are going to lose anyways. They're playing the Dolphins. Uh, so that's that. Now moving on to losers. Uh, not sure if you've heard this story, but LiAngelo Ball has been pulled out of UCLA. Uh, remember, he was caught shoplifting with a number of players on their visit to China. And uh, LeVar Ball, his dad, decided, hey, we're just going to pull you out of college. It doesn't matter. And... Uh, they, for some reason, LeVar Ball and LiAngelo were on the Today Show, and here were their, this was their excuse. It seems like they're starting to learn there are consequences to your actions, and, and the Ball family isn't taking it very well. Three months being suspended, that was too long for you to wait? Yeah, that's, that's the whole season, pretty much. China already said, okay, 
he made a bad mistake, we're going to drop the charges. That's the punishment they gave him. But in China for stealing, you But that's the punishment they gave years. him. Now we over here. Look, at, we got to serve some more punishment? He apologized. What is the loan process for? We only went to UCLA, one and done, to play basketball. basketball I'm going to get right. Jello in shape. I'm going to work him out. We're going to do some other things, and he's going to be headed to the NBA. All right, so first off, a number of different things there. Uh, that wasn't the punishment China gave him. China would have thrown him in jail for two to ten years, okay? The only reason LiAngelo Ball is out is because the president got him out. And now, look, you can you don't have to like Trump. It doesn't matter. They didn't need to pick a fight. LeVar Ball and Trump, the whole thing is a bit ridiculous. But that's the reason he, LiAngelo is back, not because China was like, all right, you can have him back. It's because there was an actual negotiation that took place between the president of the United States and China to get uh, the middle ball brother out. Uh, also, LiAngelo Ball is not going to the NBA next year. And it, he's, in fact, he, he's a role player on UCLA. LeVar Ball has said, oh, he's going to score 25 points a game. No, that wasn't going to happen. He was a role player. And, you know, there's a rumor going around that LeVar Ball is going to send him overseas and he's going to play in China. And the, the youngest son, LaMelo, he'll go over there too. I think LaMelo is a little bit better than LiAngelo. But LiAngelo is going to have a lot of trouble finding work overseas too. And... Clearly, first of all, he's he's not responsible enough to go overseas, as we found out. All right, and and also, Levar Ball just pretending like, oh, he got suspended. It's annoying that we have to serve such a long suspension because my son got sh caught shoplifting in China. All right, look, he wasn't caught robbing the Rite Aid down the street. He was in a foreign country and he got caught and thrown in jail in a country that has a 99% conviction rate, okay? You, you, you don't just, I know this may be hyperbole, but you don't just say, all right, well, I murdered someone and I got the life sentence. Why does it have to be a life sentence? I've been in jail for a year. I learned my lesson. No, you're suspended for two to three months for a reason because you really screwed up. And the Ball family really hasn't handled that well. They need to learn that there's consequences for their actions. And look, I've spoke highly of LeVar Ball before. I thought he was making a brilliant, had a brilliant plan uh, with Lonzo by making him wear Nike shoes and Adidas shoes and Reebok shoes the next day. I thought it was brilliant because he was giving these companies free press and that he could sort of be an independent contractor for each of these companies on a game-by-game -game basis. Clearly, he's not as brilliant as I made him out to be. Uh, Really, and, and then finally, I'm, I'm okay with having your kids play overseas, but you don't commit to college and then pull him out because you're annoyed that they punished him for doing something that he shouldn't have been doing. Okay, finally, uh, Tom Brady got into a bit of an argument with Josh McDaniels on the sideline. I don't know why this is, big, is as big of a story as it is uh, because Brady's gotten into fights with his offensive coordinators before. Him and Bill O'Brien really went at it like five years ago, uh, but... He got into a spat with him, and, and, and people in the media said, all right, well, that's just Brady. He's passionate. Uh, he'll be fine. It's, it's not as big of a deal as, as it should be. And uh, Odell Beckham has some opinions on it. Uh, he, someone on Twitter talked about how it was a double standard, how if Odell Beckham had done something like that, then 
you know, he wouldn't get the same pass that Tom Brady got, and he would say it would be considered immature, or Beckham would need to grow up, or he's selfish, or what is it exactly they say, or uncomposed. No, bro, I've watched the men do the exact same thing for years, but every time I cheered for in the Super Bowls, (laughs) I learned from him, this is the GOAT, so I'm following his lead. I just may not know how to express the same way, but don't get it confused. How 12 feels about the game, I would have a hard time saying that's not exactly how I feel. Hashtag goat chasing. All right. Uh, Yes, that's what it was. Odell Beckham is just like Tom Brady. That's why when he scored a touchdown and pretended to take a piss in the end zone, he he was just being passionate and channeling his inner Tom Brady. All right. The question here is, are double standards always unfair? All right, because, yeah, maybe there is a double standard here. I will grant Odell Beckham that. But the question is, why is there a double standard here? I think double standards most of the time are unfair. But when we're talking about someone who most people consider to be the greatest quarterback of all time, usually he should get a pass more than the guy who's had some a few incidents. And it's not like Odell. Odell isn't Vontez perfect. He's not the guy who's always constantly giving people dirty hits. But that doesn't mean he hasn't been mopey and pouty on the sideline. And, you know, Brady and McDaniels got into that argument. And, you know, two minutes later, they were fine and they were working out the next plays that they were going to run. Okay, Beckham will pout on the sidelines and he just won't contribute the rest of the game. Or he'll pick fights with Josh Norman that he doesn't need to be picking. All right. So if you're asking why this double standard exists, it's because, yes, Brady does play with passion. He does play with emotion. He chews out his teammates all the time. Tom Brady chews out his teammates all the time. But when he does, it's, all right, Amendola, you ran this route and you were on this side of the field. When you're supposed to be on this side of the field, get your head out of your ass. But then they move on, all right? And that's the difference. Is that Does that mean Tom Brady is a distraction? Was his argument with Josh McDaniels a distraction? No, it wasn't because they moved on. Now, if they had been arguing and then they just wouldn't talk to each other the rest of the game and then Brady's performance sucked the rest of the game because of it, then yes, you could argue it was a distraction, but it wasn't. So yes, there, maybe there is a double standard here between Brady and Beckham, but there's a reason. Brady's been in the league for almost 20 years. Beckham's only been in it in a few years, and he's had many an incident. He, look, Beckham's a great player, but he's not the greatest wide receiver of all time. He has maturity issues. We all know this. All right? If he's passionate about something, that's fine. Just don't let it affect the rest of the game. Don't let it affect the way you communicate with your coaches and your teammates. All right? It's fine to get into a fight with your coaches. Organizations that don't have conflict are, tend to be doing something wrong. You should have a little bit of a conflict. But when it becomes part of a larger pattern, that's different. Obviously, Brady and McDaniels fighting with each other is not part of a larger pattern. That's the difference. That's why the double standard exists. So that's it for this episode. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, I bid you adieu.